0: Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello and welcome to updates from ESMO, the European Society of Medical Oncology. There was a lot of interesting data as it relates to the management of patients with lung cancer, and we'll go over some of those updates today. I'm Dr. Charu Agarwal. I'm the Leslie Heisler Associate Professor for Lung Cancer Excellence at the University of Pennsylvania's Abramson Cancer Center. And I'm joined today by my colleague and dear friend, Dr. Patrick Ford.
1: I'm delighted to be here, um, Charu, and I'm um, looking forward to discussing some very exciting data from ESMO 2023, one of the most exciting conferences I think we've had for lung cancer in many years.
0: Exactly. There was just so much data. And, you know, we'll try and distill uh, some of this data into two sessions. The first of which is our segment on targeted therapies. Uh, We clearly know that lung cancer is the poster child for precision medicine. We now know that it's not just one disease, but many diseases. And we saw just that how many different therapies are playing out in the in the space. For example, for EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer, uh, for those with sensitizing mutations, we saw not one but two large phase three trials. The first of which uh, was Mariposa. Now, this Mariposa trial was a large trial, over one thousand patients. Uh, that really asked the question of: Is combination therapy superior to osimortinib in the first-line setting? So the study designed randomized patients with EGFR sensitizing mutations to receive amilas or amivantamab and lazertinib uh, versus osimertinib or versus lazertinib. The primary progression-free su- primary endpoint was progression-free survival, and the trial did meet its primary endpoint of uh, the last combination compared to osimertinib, revealing a higher median PFS with a hazard ratio of 0.7. Median PFS here was 23.7 months versus 16.6. They also looked at things such as extracranial PFS with a hazard ratio of 0.68. Some adverse events of note, uh, there was significant um number of patients with VTEs, all very well managed, but I think this is a unique complication that we must become aware of. About uh, 62% of the patients developed infusion-related reactions that usually come on with the first dose, uh, but need to be managed regardless. Other EGFR-related side effects, such as rash and paronychia were seen. Uh, but for the first time, we are seeing combination targeted therapy really emerge in the first-line setting, for EGFR sensitizing mutations we also saw Mariposa 2 again this was a second line trial uh, which looked at quadruplet therapy so lazertinib amivantamab along with chemotherapy versus chemotherapy or versus amivantamab in combination with chemotherapy the trial had dual primary endpoints of pfs for uh, the quadruplet versus chemo, as well as the triplet, that is abivatumab chemotherapy versus chemotherapy. And we saw that the hazard ratios for both of those were pretty significant, 0.44 for the quadruplet, that is LACP versus chemotherapy, and 0.48 for ACP versus chemotherapy. And uh, this adverse event profile was very similar to what we had seen in Mariposa, as well as what we would expect in terms of EGFR-related side effects. I think one thing of uh, which was interesting was uh, that Lazertinib didn't quite add that much in the second-line PFS because the hazard ratio of PFS for ACP versus chemo was about 0.48, not very different from Lazertinib in combination with chemotherapy. Uh, Patrick, what, what do you think about this data and how will it affect your management?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, it's becoming more and more complicated in terms of managing patients with EGFR-mutated uh, lung cancer, which is welcome. Um, I think we, we currently have a tolerable therapy available to us in terms of, of osimertinib for most patients. Uh, which provides good progression-free survival, but nearly all patients, the tumor becomes resistant eventually. Um, and I think now we have potentially two more intensive treatments in terms of either an or potentially chemotherapy with um, osimertinib in terms of FLARA2. Um, my personal feeling is there are probably select patients who will benefit from these intensified strategies. Um, perhaps those patients who, who are priori have more um aggressive disease perhaps brain metastasis perhaps those patients with exon 21 alterations uh what are your thoughts charo in terms of choices for these regimens
0: i think we, this is definitely a step in the right direction we are seeing that targeted therapies and combination targeted therapies can yield uh, improved BFS. I think these are two positive trials. Uh, We do have to uh, factor in patient preferences. I think toxicity is something that we have to look at, Uh, but I think definitely a step in the right direction. In the future, I think in first line, we will be looking at combination strategies, be it with chemotherapy, be it with targeted therapy. So I think this is a step in the right direction. And in fact, EGFR Classical mutations were not the only um, players in the field at ESMO. We saw data from the Papillon clinical trial as well. Uh, If you remember, this is a phase three clinical trial for EGFR exon 20 insertion mutations Uh, In the first-line setting, currently we treat them uh, with either chemo or chemo-io, chemo-bev. I think there is no wrong or right answer here. But this trial evaluated the efficacy of amivantamab in combination with chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone with the primary endpoint of progression-free survival. And this clinical trial was uh, significantly positive. Uh, primary endpoint of PFS improved with combination targeted therapy and chemotherapy, with a hazard ratio of 0.39 in the first-line setting. Um, overall survival benefit um, is has not yet been. Um, shown, but interim overall survival also shows a trend in the favor of ambimentumab and chemotherapy with a hazard ratio of 0.6, benefits seen across uh, all major subgroups. And I think this may be one of the clinical trials that uh, helps change uh, the frontline standard with that hazard ratio. What are your thoughts, Patrick?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think um, exam 20 is historically a much more difficult tumor to treat in terms of the available systemic therapies. Um, Amavantamab has been approved in the second-line setting, uh, as was mobicertinib before being recently withdrawn. However, our targeted therapies overall have been limited. And I think this trial is probably the first to show that by giving these therapies up front, we can really achieve significant benefits for our patients. And I think it is, to my mind at least, practice changing in that first-line setting.
0: Absolutely. And we're all hoping for an approval soon and we can start to combine this. I want to change uh, gears and talk about red fusions. Um, We've all been aware of uh, TKIs that have been available and approved. We have selpercatinib, of course, uh, which was the first red TKI to be approved. And many of us use it in the first-hand setting. However, uh, as was mandated, there was a clinical trial that was conducted called the Libretto four three one, which was a phase three open label study to evaluate head to head efficacy of selpercatinib versus either chemo or chemo immunotherapy. And for the first time, we saw that yes, this hypothesis that targeted therapy will be better is better. We saw PFS for selpercatinib in patients with red fusion with a hazard ratio of, again, 0.46 compared to chemo IO um, response really seen across all subsets. Cumulative incidence of uh, CNS progression was less in selpercatinib. And overall, um, just, I think, affirms our practice to use this drug. I don't even know if this trial was really warranted, uh, but I think it just goes to show that targeted therapies can go a long way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that was a good point raised by uh, Dr. Best, who was the uh, discussant at the meeting, whether these randomized trials are necessary for these highly active targeted therapies. And I think it's going to be an ongoing question as we, thankfully, we have a very effective targeted therapies for several other very rare um, uh, mutation groups within non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer.
0: And I also think that um, I think we have to, again, in keeping with mind, personalization of these therapies, keep in mind that not everyone needs that high dose. We've all seen our fair share of adverse events related to cellcocatinib use. So if we can dose modulate, but still afford that efficacy benefit, uh, we're doing a great service to our patients. So a lot was happening in targeted therapy in the metastatic space, but not to leave behind the adjuvant space. We saw data from the ALINA clinical trial this was the first time an ALK drug was being evaluated in the adjuvant setting. We all know data from the Odora trial that led to approval of uh, adjuvant osimertinib for EGFR classical sensitizing mutant non-small cell lung cancer. Alina was very similarly designed against, again in patients with stage 1b to 3a ALP positive resected lung cancer, so were randomized to receive either electinib or platinum-based chemotherapy interesting that chemotherapy was not included for those patients with an act translocation and what they found was that amongst amongst these patients d- disease free survival hazard ratio was 0.24 for patients with stage 2 to 3a even though these patients did not receive chemotherapy significant improvement in disease free survival Um, even if you threw in the stage 1Bs into the equation, you still saw a hazard ratio of 0.24. Benefits seen across all all subgroups, really. Uh, Stage 1B is looking a little immature right now. And then, of course, CNS disease-free survival was huge. Um, I think this also, uh, Patrick, is practice changing.
1: What are your thoughts? Yes, I think most definitely. Probably the most, the clearest result, I think, from the entire conference, probably, in that where um, in this study, two years of therapy seems to be uh, delivering sustained um, benefit, even at more than two years, potentially up to three years in follow-up. So I think um, for, for patients without fusion-positive resected lung cancer, I think this is the new standard of care. I think one question is the trial did not administer chemotherapy, which does have a proven survival benefit to the electinib-containing arm. And I think that'll be an ongoing question for us when we see our patients, should they have chemotherapy followed by electinib or go directly onto electinib? And we won't have a direct answer for that for some time.
0: Absolutely. Um, Shifting gears back to our metastatic space, but one of the large common mutations here as G12C, we've seen a lot of movement over the last three or four years in terms of approvals. we now not now, just not have one but two drugs, odorassive and adaggressive, and we've all been itching to to move these drugs into the first line setting. And we see our uh, data being revealed at ESMO from Crystal Seven. This was a uh, phase two cohorts of combination of adaggressive with pembrolizumab. Recall that combination of KRS G twelve C inhibitors with immunotherapy has been quite challenging because of associated hepatotoxicity. Uh, so the study reported uh, safety data from 148 patients and efficacy data in, amongst cohorts of patients with PD-L1 greater than equal to 50%. And what we found was that overall response rate in the greater than 50% PD-L1 cohort was 63%. Duration of treatment was quite long with a median time to treatment response of 1.4 months and a median duration of response not reached. Median PFS for this cohort was not reached. And the safety profile of uh, adagrasib plus pembro was actually consistent with either drug as monotherapy, low rate of TRAEs, low rate of discontinuation. And I think these data are encouraging as we think about moving these drugs in the first-line setting. Patrick, anything unexpected
1: no, you... no, I agree. I, I think it's enough to support further investigation here, and I think it's 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 encouraging overall.
0: And then a few posters that were presented that I think were interesting. Uh, repotrectinib has been a drug that has been used. Uh, we saw data from the uh, phase one and two trident, one trial that evaluated the efficacy of this drug in N-TREC fusion positive advanced solid tumors, and we basically saw activity you know these drugs are coming in, we already have uh, drugs for N-TREC fusion uh lung cancers, but I think as we think about resistance mutations and other drugs, it's just very encouraging to see uh newer data emerge. Uh, I think all I will say is that it's important for us to test. Um, anything about repotrectinib, Patrick, that caught your eye?
1: No, no, I think there's new options coming along all the time, thankfully. And I think this is is, is one of those options that we have for our patients.
0: Absolutely. Um, And targeted therapies uh, are not just limited to small molecules. Uh, We saw a lot of data on antibody drug conjugates. And if you asked anybody at ESMO what the buzz was, it was all about ADCs. Uh, the first thing that we uh, that we heard was on DESTINY LUNG-01 and LUNG-02, uh, intracranial responses of trastuzumab You We all know that this drug is available and uh, approved for the management of HER2 mutant lung cancer in the second-line setting. Uh, but we have not been aware of intracranial responses, at least in lung cancer, as opposed to breast cancer, where these have been reported. Uh, Pooled data from these two studies showed that systemic responses to TDXD are seen However, they found that this monotherapy can demonstrate intracranial efficacy. In an exploratory analysis, they found intracranial overall response rate of 50% with the five point four milligram per kilogram cohort, which is the dose that should be used. Um, and this efficacy was similar in both treated and untreated brain metastases amongst those patients with brain metastases at baseline. Uh, Patrick, uh, do you think this is going to change how you use this drug? Um,
1: I, so I think at the moment, we're it's a, it's our preferred agent of choice. And I think it's reassuring to know that patients with brain metastasis, which are not uncommon in her t lung cancer, can have responses. And that's been my personal experience as well with this agent. It's well tolerated in general and is highly active.
0: And I think it's an unmet need. Uh, we often find that these patients with uh, mutations harbor brain metastases. They've been previously treated. There are brain meds that we haven't treated. So I think any drug with intracranial efficacy really gives us uh, a lot of armamentarium to benefit our patients. Um, so uh, trastuzumab deruxtecan was not the only drug to demonstrate intracranial efficacy. We also saw data from HER3-DXT. You will recall that we discussed this trial from World Conference in Lung Cancer, where the results of Herthina Lung O1 were presented. This is a drug that is being actively evaluated in the EGFR mutant lung cancer space, and those with classical EGFR sensitizing mutations. And we saw data from the third line clinical trial setting, where patients had progressed post osimertinib as well as chemotherapy. At ESMO, we heard data from the intracranial response rate uh, with the use of this drug. And what we found was encouraging durable intracranial responses with just this particular um, agent that was used. Uh, This was obviously very, very encouraging. We found also that the rate at which the CNS was the first site of progression with and without a history of brain metastases was, uh, was very low, with the use of this drug, and again, I think um, anything that brings with it CNS uh, penetration is a welcome, uh, a welcome agent in my clinic. Patrick, what about you?
1: Yes, I think I think it's really good that we're seeing, even though these are not small molecules; they're relatively big proteins, antibodies. They're having intracranial activity, and I think that's encouraging as a class as well.
0: And I'd like to finally close with one drug that uh, was presented in two different settings, uh, DatoDXD. This is a Trope 2 antibody drug conjugate. We saw for the first time results from Tropion Lungo 1. This is a phase 3 open-label clinical uh, trial amongst patients with non-small cell lung cancers with any histology, any genomic alteration, uh, randomized to receive either DatoDXD or docetaxel. So this could be a second or third-line drug with a primary endpoint of PFS and OS, uh, dual primary endpoints. And we saw that this drug did improve overall PFS with a hazard ratio of 0.75 um, against docetaxel. Uh, PFS seemed to be much better in non-squamous with a hazard ratio of 0.63, but squamous population did not do well with a hazard ratio of 1.38. So actually, patients did worse on data, data DXT. I think interim overall survival data show us a hazard ratio of 0.9. I think there have been concerns about safety of this drug. There were some ILD-related deaths that I think we need to uh, bear in mind. Uh, but overall, seemed like this drug had fewer uh, all-grade TRAs compared to docetaxel. Uh, grade 3 and higher T- TRAs about 25% with this drug compared to 41%. Um, Patrick, if this drug were to be approved, how would you use it in your setting?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's a, it's going to be a difficult one to interpret, you know, because um, the benefit does appear to be almost completely in the non-squamous population, and even within that group, we have the breakdown in the patients with actionable genomic alterations were permitted to enroll as well. Um, so we have both the the AGA population and non-AGA, and I think people will look closely at those at those hazard ratios. Also at the alternatives, in particular for those patients who have actionable genomic alterations in this setting, where there are are other ADCs, there are potentially combination targeted therapies as well. Um, But overall, I think where this drug may have a a significant role is in the non-squamous, non-actionable genomic population, at least initially, um, because that's a group where we don't really have good options. But whether this trial, um, the way it's been designed and the way it's reading out at present will support approval, I think that's still to be determined.
0: And you highlighted uh, one of the key points of the next trial that I was going to discuss, which is Tropion Lungo 05, which basically evaluated the activity of this drug in patients with actionable genomic alterations, heavily pretreated patients but we found that this drug is quite active, particularly amongst those with EGFR mutations and ALK rearrangements. I think the AE profile is something that will um that we will have to learn how to manage, you know, in addition to ILD nausea and stomatitis seem to be the predominant AEs, um, less grade of hematologic uh, toxicities as compared to other ADCs. But I think I completely agree that this may be a player in the non-squamous, non-small cell lung cancer, maybe as an option even for our patients with actionable genomic alterations. Well, Patrick, this was great to discuss all of this exciting data. I had to speak fast to keep all of this in. Uh, but I appreciate you weighing in with all your expertise. Thank you. Great
1: to be here, Chari. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity
0: is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME, LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME.